Uh, whenever they sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, I think that's throne room music. <laughs> when you go to the last book of the Bible, you find that is what we're planning to be singing in heaven. So um, I just, I feel like it's warm-up time when we sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and worthy, worthy, worthy He is to be praised. All right, I'm ready. Chloe Jane Morrison appeared this week. Uh, Her parents live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where our youngest son, her daddy, and his wife is a children's pastor over there at a Nazarene church. And and there was a kind of a scare last Sunday night. They had to rush to the hospital. And uh, we were concerned about Chloe making it safely into this world. And Wednesday afternoon she was born. And we are grateful, grateful, grateful. She looks perfect, doesn't she? Five pounds, four ounces. That's little. Little, little. But uh, she's going to grow. The Morrison babies um, grow really fast outside the womb. But they're little when they're born. So There's two things that I, I feel as your pastor that we need to focus on as a church. And I want to go there today. The first one is in growing together. And we have, we've talked about this before. And so what you've seen on the church calendar is several events, and these have been real intentional, opportunities for us to gather, um, a lot of times outside of the church building, but to be together, to spend time together, be relaxed, kick back, where we can just have conversations and get to know each other and enjoy each other, enjoy being together. And so we've, we've done several of those things, and tonight is another one of those opportunities, even though it's billed as a farewell dinner, it's a chance to be together as the church body And uh, in that, we'll not only celebrate the five years we've had with Pastor Kelsey here, but we can just get to know each other better. One one of the burdens of my heart is, how how can we really bear each other's burdens, which is the command of Scripture, because it fulfills the law of Christ? How can we bear each other's burdens if we don't even know each other? So, like when we share a, a, a prayer need, and it's somebody who attends here regularly, and you go, I don't think I know that person. We got to do better at that so that we literally can, we can walk together on the journey, the ups and downs. We can pray for each other in between the times, and, and we can just really care for each other as needs arise. So that, that's a, a burden on my heart, and that's next Sunday's sermon, so we'll go there next week. The second area where we really need to grow is in reaching out, in touching other lives, people who probably aren't going to walk through the doors of this church unless we touch them. So every week when I walk in, whenever I walk into the sanctuary and I see the words, the word hope, it, it, it propels me, it pushes me to say that means when people walk into this room, they need to have that experience to understand hope is here. I mean, we don't have an exclusive uh, franchise on hope from God, but it needs to be strong here. And when I believe pe- when we, as we minister and touch other lives, that people are going to start coming through the doors who need hope. We live in a world where there's, hope has just been sucked out of this world in so many ways. And we need to be able to offer them hope. They need to sense that when they come in here and and we greet them and welcome them and we worship together and we pray over them and all of those things. So reaching out is, is noticing 
hurting people and responding to their needs with the love of Christ. And, and the word for that is compassion. Compassion. And, and you know what? You, you do not become more compassionate by trying harder. It begins with understanding how God sees people and how he treats them. And as we experience his grace in our own lives, his faithfulness, his goodness, as he ministers to us, and we come humbly and we realize he saved me from my sins, it's, it's, it's an outpouring of his grace. I didn't deserve it. There's nothing I can do to earn it. And he feels that way for every person on the planet. So when we begin to understand how God treats people, how he loves people, then we take it a step further because then we get fueled up here on a Sunday morning and we go out to take the love of Jesus with us out into the world so that they will know that God loves them and God cares for them. That's compassion. On opening day of 2011, baseball fan Brian Stowe went to Dodger Stadium. And before he left there, he was severely beaten, so severely beaten he needs lifetime care. And there's lots, to blame, lots of blame to go around in this case. You can blame alcohol, you can blame youthful bravado, you can blame an argument that blew up into a fight. But consider this. He wasn't beaten in some dark corner outside the stadium. He was beaten in view of thousands of fans. And on that day, there were 442 police officers and security people on the premises. Major League Baseball reviewed the case, and they determined, quote, a culture of apathy and indifference end quote, among stadium staff contributed to this beating happening. In other words, for a couple of drunk guys to get into a fight at a baseball game, shame on them. But for thousands of spectators and hundreds of staff to turn a blind eye, then shame on us. Shame on us, yeah. Because apathy is not just their problem at Dodger Stadium. It's a problem in Marshfield, Missouri. And as we journey through life, there are things that will cause us to be insensitive to the needs of others. And I think we need to just take a couple minutes to talk about that as well. If you're taking notes, this is where they start in the bulletin. You can fill in the blanks. And one is we all, have a, uh, we all have a gravitational pull towards self-centeredness. We're born with a, a carnal nature, a sin nature inside of us that makes us very selfish. Now, God has a way to deal with that. That's another sermon. But when you think about it, nobody had to teach your kids how to be selfish, <laughs> right? It's in our nature, and left unchecked, we go to that selfish place over and over again. So when we see a need... We may not be moved to compassion. We may be thinking about our own needs are bigger than those needs, and I can't help them because I've got this obligation and that need in my own life, and we end up being just self-centered. Another cause of our insensitivity is that people in need make us uncomfortable. It's especially true for Americans. 
the American way is self-reliance. I got this. I can do it. And then when somebody has to go out on a street corner and admit their need, maybe they hold a sign near the Walmart parking lot. When we see those needs, we think something like, they need to quit being so lazy. They need to go get a job. And I would say, check yourself, unless you really know their story. Check yourself and think, what, what did I think the last time I saw a person standing near Walmart with a sign? For some of you, it was a golden moment. God spoke to you, and you knew what to do, and you did something. For many of us, including myself, nothing happened except the thoughts that went through my head, and they weren't the best thoughts. Have you ever thought about somebody who's struggling with a, a need in their life or, or a loss and just thinking, get over it? You know, do something yourself. That indicates a lack of compassion. Another reason for our insensitivity is that scam artists and, and people who use the system make us jaded. <laughs> if you've shown compassion to very many people at all in your lifetime, there's somebody who took you, right? And that may be the story that just keeps repeating over and over again why you don't help people now. Because back there, this person, I gave them this, and they did this. And it's not a good feeling when you realize it happened. But it's not a good enough reason to stop having compassion, okay? So we need to remember that God is compassionate. Scripture's filled with these verses that tell us that in the Psalms. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Abounding in love and faithfulness. Remember that God has shown compassion to you and grace to you as well. That should open the door of our hearts so that we are quicker to show it to other people as well. Jesus' ministry was one of compassion. That second verse there, Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. One of my prayers almost daily is, Lord, give me your eyes. Matthew West kind of put that into a melody that maybe you can remember, but give me your eyes so that I see people how they really are, not the front that they have. They may have a smile on their face, but they're aching inside. I want to I see the ache. Jesus, give me your eyes. The gospel tells us Jesus had compassion on the sick, and he healed them. He had compassion on the hungry, and he fed them. He had compassion on blind people and lame people, and he healed them. He restored them. Because God shows compassion to us, he wants us to show compassion to people in the world. The Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians 3.12, we are to clothe ourselves with compassion. So who am I supposed to be compassionate towards? And that's where we get to our text, Luke chapter 10. You may remember it as the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan. So let's go there. I'm going to read from the New International Version. Follow along in your Bible or on the screen. Luke 10, verse 25. 
On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this guy must have been listening to Jesus because when Jesus summarized the commandments, remember, that's how he summarized them. So this guy had that down. And Jesus said, verse 28, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Long before Mr. Rogers was inviting everybody to be his neighbor, this guy was saying, hey, who is my neighbor anyway? In contrast to Mr. Rogers, who invited all of his neighborhood in, this guy was saying, in effect, who do I have to let in to my neighborhood? To whom must I show compassion? Yeah, I know I need to love my neighbor, but who exactly does that include? Now, you got to remember that the man asking this question is a lawyer. He's, a, he's an expert in the Jewish law. He's a scholar. He's no dummy. But this is like a playing dumb question, right? <laughs> Who is my neighbor? <clears throat> His question isn't driven by pure motivation to do the right thing. It's like, can I get a loophole here? <laughs> and Luke tells us exactly what his motivation was. He wanted to justify himself. I'm sure he didn't want to justify why he loved so many people in the world. But rather why he didn't love that guy and those people. It's simple, he would have, might have said. That person wasn't my neighbor, so I, I didn't have to show them any extra kindness. I didn't have any obligation to love them. He wasn't my neighbor. He didn't deserve it. So as Jesus often does, he tells a story to, to illustrate the truth. So we move on in the chapter at verse 30. So in reply to the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, and in this Jewish gathering, there would have been an, ugh. That's, that's the response to Samaritan. Oh. But a Samaritan, oh, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Ooh. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, oh, took him to an inn, and took care of him. Well, the crowd is pretty much disconnected at this point, like, Stop right now, Jesus. You're just like digging a hole. <laughs> well, we, we don't need to hear about a Samaritan who's good. Nobody knows. Everybody knows they're not. You know. Okay, that's not in the Scripture, but thoughts going on in people's minds. So, verse 35, the next day, 
The Samaritan took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He didn't want to say, the Samaritan. No, (laughs) the nameless guy that I don't want to talk about. The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So in this story, Jesus shows us what it is to reach out and touch another life. What it is to rescue somebody who may be near death and offer them hope. What it is to have compassion on another human being. So I want to talk for just a few minutes and give you some characteristics of compassion. And you have these in your notes, along with a few blanks to fill in. Let me just say this. Compassion is, first of all, based on need, not worth. Compassion is based on need, not worth. The story is pretty basic, and it makes a clear point. A priest, one of the, the, what would be considered one of the most holy of all the Jews, walks on by. And really, a priest may, may have had an excuse for not being very neighborly. By law, he could not defile himself by having contact with the dead. If that guy was stripped and beaten and left to die by the road, look over there, it looks like he might be dead. I can't touch him. I can't help. If he stopped, there's another danger. Maybe the same people that beat this man up are hiding in the trees or behind some rocks, and they are ready to attack the next person, and I'm going to be their next victim. I can't really risk that. I'm on my way to do important things at the temple. Or if by stopping, he might have gotten his robe dirty, because, I mean, the guy was bleeding. It's hard to get blood stains. Can you imagine before Tide and Pods and all that stuff, what it would be like to get blood out of clothes? And if he stopped, he'd probably be late for work. The other priests are going to be razzing him as he comes in like, hey, um, guess you don't think much of this job. Anyway, (laughs) was this guy really worthy of his time and attention because he had a lot of important things on his schedule? Next came the Levite, who who would be at a temple assistant. And one may have thought that the priest, priest maybe wasn't justified to stop. Maybe he had a good excuse, but it gets a little harder for the temple assistant. He doesn't really have an excuse other than his own apathy. The point is that Jesus was making, I mean, he made a bold point here, that two really good Jews had a chance to do something, and they actually avoided it because they walked by on the other side. So who should be considered a neighbor. And for whatever reasons they had in their mind, this man laying, beaten, left to die, was a man not worthy of their compassion. Have you ever passed by someone that you felt was probably not worthy of your compassion? He's not worthy of my compassion. He probably spent all his money on liquor from the way he looks. Um, I can't help him. He'll just go get more. She's not worthy. She got knocked up when she was 16, unmarried. She chose her life. Now she's overworked and underpaid, and that's her problem. 
He's not worthy of compassion. He gambled all his money away. He had plenty. Now he has nothing. He deserves to be homeless. Compassion is based on need, not worth. Here's the second part of that. Compassion is emotional, not logical. Now, there's some of you in this room, you're very, very logical people. If you can't work it out on paper like a math equation and have it equal the correct answer, that's going to be hard for you. There's other people in this room who are very emotional, and you can get caught up in an emotional situation pretty clearly. Somewhere there's a balance there. But compassion is emotional, not logical. Um, Verse 33 in the New Living Translation, Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Well, Jewish people sure didn't have a lot of compassion for Samaritans. Like, they were considered half-breeds. Um, they, they were Jews who had intermarried with the Babylonians when the Babylonians took over Israel. And the Jews would really do anything to avoid coming into contact with a Samaritan, um, often walking miles out of the way to avoid Samaritan territory. And Samaritans would typically do the same back. I mean, they, there was no love lost. They just didn't ever hang out together. And based on that, we might expect to see the Samaritan <laughs> either walk by on the other side or maybe go over there and finish him off like he's a Jew and he's about ready to die and nobody will have to know. <laughs> I took care of him. I took care of that problem. <laughs> but the Samaritan felt compassion. And the word in the Greek is a vivid one. It literally means to stir in the bowels. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> You know, like when you go to Taco Bell, to stir in the bowels. No. Actually, in an an English way, it's an English way of saying he had a gut feeling. Okay? He had a feeling in his gut. See, there's no logical reason why a Samaritan would go and help a Jewish man. I mean, he, he probably had the most justification to walk by on the other side of the road because of how he'd been treated in the past by other Jewish people. But he just had this gut feeling, I got to do something or this guy's going to die. And because you don't have time to hear the full story of a needy person, sometimes you have to just learn to trust your gut. <laughs> Happened to me, I was pastoring um, in Sioux City, Iowa, and I-29 goes right through Sioux City, and so I would get calls every now and again, people out on the interstate that needed help. Got a call one night. The guy said, I've been hitchhiking. I think he'd come from Oklahoma. He was trying to get to North Dakota. And he was out of money. And, and he said to me, he said, I'm a, I'm a basketball player. I'm a really tall guy. And, and he, he wasn't really a heavy guy, but he said, he said, my knees and my legs from all the years I played basketball are not in great shape. And I got to have really good shoes. And he said, my shoes are falling apart. Is there any way you or your church could help me get a pair of shoes? I found out he was in the motel right across the street from Walmart. He said, I said, I could, where are you at? And he said, I've already gone to Walmart and looked, and they have this parachute. They were like $35. I was like, okay. And so um, it was at night, and I called my prayer partner, and I said, hey, can you go with me? And I met this guy at the motel, and um, 
and heard his story. He gave us the extended version. And the more he tells me, the more I'm, I'm thinking, I don't think this is legit. <laughs> At the end of his story, my prayer partner, who has more compassion than I do, pulls out his wallet and he goes, buddy, I want to help you all I can. He said, I'll, I'll just give you all the money in my wallet. And he did. <laughs> he grabbed all the money out of his wallet and he gave it to this guy. And I, was, I had brought a gift, the gift card from the church that would let him get shoes at Walmart. And, and we got back in the car and I said, what did you just do? He goes, Fred, I felt like I was supposed to help him. I kind of went just as an obligation, like, okay, I'm the pastor of a church. There's a guy with a need. Our church has some resources. We're going to meet this need and let this guy get on down the road. And my prayer partner, with compassion in his heart, said, I felt like I was supposed to do it. It was a gut feeling. It didn't, he goes, what, do you, what did you think? I said, I'm not sure his story was, was legit. He said, I did what I was supposed to do. I said, hey, I'm not going to knock you for that, right? So sometimes that's what it is. And sometime you will get taken, but don't let that be the reason why you never do it again. The Samaritan felt compassion. He just did it. In my first pastorate, I was at home with Cheryl for supper when Pete, one of my board members, um, came up and rang the doorbell. Pastor, I got somebody I'd like you to meet. Uh, let me tell you what happened. And there's a guy sitting in his car in, in the driveway, and I'm like, hmm, don't know what's going on. Pete worked in a town 30 miles away, so it'd be like he worked in Springfield if he lived down here. And while traveling home from work on the interstate that day, he saw a hitchhiker. As he did, Pete's gut told him he should stop and pick him up. Now, anybody can tell you, don't pick up hitchhikers on the interstate, right? Okay. Pete was a smart guy, but he had this argument then that started with, God, God is that you telling me to stop? But God, um, he's another nationality. I've heard they can be dangerous. And besides, it's not smart to pick up hitchhikers. We all know that. And he argued with God until he drove right by the guy. Got down the highway and to the, at the next exit, the Holy Spirit is saying, you need to turn around and go pick up that guy. <laughs> and so he did. And that explained why there was another guy sitting in his car in my driveway. <laughs> And he said, Pastor, I want you to come out here and meet him. And guess what? He's a Nazarene from Texas who's trying to get to a job he has in South Dakota. He's traveled through four states, and he's trying to just get 70 more miles down the road, and he'll be able to show up at his job. As it turned out, as I got to talk with this guy, he had very broken English, I knew his pastor down in Texas. <laughs> I called him up. I said, hey, we got this guy here. He's in my driveway. Do you, is, this, is, he come, is he really coming up here for a job? He goes, Fred, it's really good to hear. His wife wasn't quite sure where he was. <laughs> she knew he was looking for a job. She didn't know where he went. And um, so we made that connection. And Pete took him to supper that night before he dropped him off at his destination, 70 miles up the highway. Compassion is emotional, not logical. It doesn't make sense to go around picking up hitchhikers, and I'm not telling you to do it. But if God says that's what you're supposed to do, you better do it. Okay. Here's another one. Compassion does something. Okay. Uh, verse 34. 
He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. The Samaritan saw a need. He had a gut feeling that he needed to do something. And that's the big difference between sympathy and compassion. Sympathy is just the emotional part. Like, I really feel for you. You might cry a tear for this person who says they're really hungry. But compassion moves you to do something. So the Samaritan did not pass by on the other side. He moved toward that injured man, and he, he moved toward him to express compassion. And he did six things. You find that in verse 34. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds. He poured oil and wine in the wounds. That was first aid back here in this ancient time. He put him on his donkey. He took him to an inn, and he took care of him. And in every one of those acts, he demonstrated compassion as he responded in a practical and an unselfish way to this man's needs. Put him on his own donkey, which meant the Samaritan had to walk now instead of ride. That was a lot of extra effort. And it probably wasn't convenient for that Samaritan's day. It set him back a day on his schedule. Whatever he was headed to do on that road that day, it was going to be tomorrow before he could do it. You may not be able to help everyone everywhere, but you can help somebody somewhere. And the Holy Spirit will guide you in that, will nudge you out there, will push you out there to do something. Characteristic of compassion, compassion costs something. He gave money for this guy's stay at the inn, for his healing time. Now, most of us would rather just give money. That really is the lowest entry level of helping somebody. But he also gave time. That can be expensive. Compassion cost the Samaritan. But he didn't broadcast it. He didn't expect to get rewarded for it. He didn't expect a tax deduction because he gave some money. <laughs> he just did it because he had compassion. The Baptist missiologist Reggie McNeil says that you have to get off your donkey to help somebody. He's a Baptist, so that's what he says. And I'm a Nazarene. I would say the same thing. You have to get off your donkey to help somebody. It's time for all of us to get off of whatever we're sitting on and help somebody so that they have hope. This is a call to action. Get off your donkey and do what God asks you to do. Stop excusing yourself. Quit wondering what can I do and start doing what you can do. So let me, let me give you some ways to help. What can I do? And it's in the notes there. I have several of these, but let me just speed through them for you. First of all, ask God to give you a heart of compassion. I was a young adult um, in my college years, and I worked in downtown Denver in, in a tough part of town. Um, the, the parking lot around the store where I worked was a six-foot-high fence with barbed wire around the top. One time, Cheryl came to pick me up after work, and she parked on the street and walked in the front door. My boss, who was old enough to be my dad, said to her, don't you ever do that again. I want you to park inside the fence whenever you come down here. It was dangerous a dangerous neighborhood. And right above our store was a, the, the top floor was rented to a gospel mission. 
And catty corner from our store was the Salvation Army men's housing facility for the city of Denver. They could sleep hundreds of men on bunks. When I got there to work in the morning, they just opened, they, it was the same time they opened the doors from the men's housing facility, and all those guys got kicked out for the day. No matter how cold or warm it was, they were out on the street the rest of the day. And I saw a lot of need, but those guys were always trying to bum money off of me. They, they just irritated me after a while, because there were hundreds of them. And it affected my heart. Not to make me more compassionate, but to close it and say, I can't help all these guys. And across the years of ministry, the Holy Spirit has had to say, Fred, you got a heart problem, and we're going to take care of it. And so he's gradually been opening my heart. The gift of mercy is not one of my strongest spiritual gifts. So God's really had to kind of work on me to help that. And if that's you, ask God to give you a heart of compassion. A second thing you can do is give away what you no longer need. It might be clothes that you have, but you know somebody else, and they don't have very many clothes, and your clothes might fit them. There, I've seen people in churches give away their vehicle to bless somebody who needed a car. And what a blessing. Instead of, instead of trading it in or, or getting the dollars for it to sell it, they saw somebody with a need, and they gave it away. Give away what you no longer need. Third way to do this is to sponsor a child. And there are several places to do that. Nazar the Church of the Nazarene has a website, ncm.org. It stands for Nazarene Compassionate Ministries. And you can go on there and sponsor a child for $30 a month. You may have been to concerts where World Vision has been one of the sponsors, and they have a website too, worldvision.org. You've probably heard of Compassion International. They do a great job sponsoring thousands and thousands of children around the world, and their website is Compassion.com. To sponsor a child is pretty dear to my heart. This is my daughter-in-law, my middle son's wife, Nicole. She grew up in Ecuador. Her mom was a single parent with two little girls to raise. Her husband abandoned her. And she didn't have the training for a good-paying job. And the Nazarene Church found out about it in her town and asked if she would do some bookkeeping so they could pay her some money. The, the Nazarene Church in Riobamba, Ecuador, one of the churches, the one that she's part of, um, is the Compassion—it has the school for Compassion International. It's, it's their educational wing of their building. It's two or three stories tall. It's got a lot of classrooms. They have hundreds of kids come to class every day. They feed them meals. They give them education. And my daughter-in-law, Nicole, was one of those kids who got taken in by Compassion International. And a, 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 a farm wife in New York State sponsored her for years. Her name is Kim. Kim came to their wedding. She's an amazing Christian woman, but she had compassion. And she didn't know Nicole when she took that packet and said, I'll sponsor a child for $38 a month. And now Nicole, this weekend, she's at a church speaking. She's a speaker for Compassion International now. She goes to events, and she tells her story so that hundreds of children can be sponsored when she goes out to speak. Uh, that's pretty personal to me, but if you're looking for something to do, one of the things you can do is sponsor a child. 
Okay. Here's another one. Plan to be generous. Plan to be generous. Um, Dr. David Maines, for several years he was on the radio with the Chapel of the Air. Maybe you heard him back in the day. Uh, but, but he inspired me in this area. And, and he started out, he pastored, his first church was inner city Chicago, and, and there was great need, and he put a $20 bill in his, in his pants pocket, um, outside of his wallet, just in his pocket to where it was readily accessible, and he would walk into church on Sunday morning and say, Lord, show me who I'm supposed to give that to. When I met him, uh, the last time I heard him speak publicly, um, he said, that, that was years and years ago, he said, I now carry a $100 bill in my, in my, in my pocket. And I asked God, who am I supposed to give that to today? Plan to be generous. And across the, he had stories to tell. He's blessed people over and over and over again, not tooting his own horn, but just saying, here's what God will do if you will just prepare and plan to be generous. Um, when the red kettles come out for Christmas shopping, plan to be generous. When you, go, when you get ready to go out, make sure you have some cash with you that you can put in those red kettles. The Salvation Army does an amazing work. And it affects our community by our giving. And then here's the last one. How can I, what can I do? Learn, learn to listen to your gut feelings. When the Holy Spirit prompts you, don't try to tune that out and go, well, not today, or I'm too busy, or when he prompts you, listen to your gut feelings. i got to wrap this up. Where are the Good Samaritans? In the parable Jesus told, and a parable is a made-up story, but maybe it was taken from a newspaper story or something like that, but he shocked people by bringing a Samaritan into a Jewish conversation. Sometimes I've been surprised that the most generous people seem to not even have as much as many of the other people around them, but they saw a need, and they had a gut feeling, and they were like, I need to do something, and they just did it. I hope this room is filled with good Samaritans. Or maybe this message becomes the start, the launching point for what God would have you do to take his hope out these doors and to the world. What an awesome thing for you and me to be entrusted by God with compassion. And then he'll help us see with his eyes and we, go get to, we get to go live out God's hope in our neighborhood, at our workplace, at school, wherever he sends us this week. That's for us. I'm going to invite the worship team to come to the front. And I want to pray with you as they come. Would you bow your heads? My first question is, what is God saying to you? As you have your eyes closed, you try to block out distraction around you. This is real personal. Because he's going to probably say something to you he's not even going to say to the person sitting next to you. What is God saying to you? It may be conviction because this week you were confronted with a need where compassion was needed and you just walked on by on the other side. Well, you need to confess that to God and ask forgiveness and ask for a fresh start. For some of you, there's a person who comes to mind who you're already connected to, and they have great need in their life, and the Holy Spirit tapped you today and tapped you to become a part of the answer to their need. Would you just say yes to God? 
for others, we just don't have a clue. Like, we weren't tuned in to being compassionate, and so this is a, a new thing to think about. But would you just make yourself available to God? Lord, here I am. You alone know where all I'm going to be this week. The doors I'll walk in and out, the conversations I'll have, some of them very unanticipated with people I don't even know. But I believe you can go with me this week and show me if there's a place where your love and compassion is needed to spread hope. Let's pray. Jesus, I come before you on behalf of people who need to confess sin, a sin of neglect, of missing what you were saying to them by shutting it out, disobeying by not heeding the voice of your Spirit. Forgive us, God. Forgive us for the things that we were supposed to do and we did not do. And God, give us a fresh start, I pray. So this week is different. I pray, God, for those who do feel a burden. This, this sermon has, has just highlighted a person in their lives. So, Lord, show us what we can do. Show me what I can do. Use me for your glory. Use us, God, to show people that you care and you love them, that you're faithful and you're good, and that will be shown by Christians who walk into their lives with generous hearts and just obey you. Then, God, I pray for those who, who don't know where to start at this moment, but they, they've heard your truth and they, they want to obey it, they want to live by it. I pray you would open our eyes that we could see what you see in this world. Fill us with your compassion. Lord, set up divine appointments that, that we would meet the people we're supposed to meet this week and recognize the need that's there. And Lord, give us that sensitivity to the gut feeling kind of thing where it's you trying to help us, trying to push us out there and say, you can do this. Strengthen us for that, I pray. We invite you to come and flood into our lives and then flow out of us, God, into this world and touch people in the name of Jesus, bringing your hope to the world. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us? And we're going to close the service with singing together.
your heart in the stream of life let the pain and the sorrow be washed away in the waves of his mercy you to fill us up, make us more like Jesus, flood through our lives. Now I pray, pray blessing over this congregation. Send us to be a blessing as you have flowed your grace into us, compassion and mercy for us. Even in our deepest sins, you reach to us. Send us that we would flood this world with the grace of God with, with the, the flow of your mercy and compassion. Flow through us, we pray. We are your servants, and we pray it through Christ our Lord and coming King. And God's people said, amen. Let's go serve him.